Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in the second week of the heist series on what robs relationships. Today, Heather will be speaking on the topic of fear and how it affects our relationships with God and other people. We hope that you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Woo! Y'all! Y'all look good tonight. Do you feel like you look good? I felt like y'all came in here, you know, just with a, like 25% more confidence than normal. I don't know what's going on, uh, but you look good tonight. And also, how about that song, The Champion? What? What? I don't even know. I was, I just lost myself a minute for a minute over there in our, on our dancing floor. If you're new with us and if you feel encumbered by the seats and you feel like you need to worship unencumbered and you just want to hop up and down and dance, this is our space. Bubba is the bouncer and he'll let you in. Um, yeah, but uh, welcome. And I know we have some new people in the room because whenever you scan that QR code out in the lobby that says, you know, if you're new and you want to get connected or or something like that, and you scan it, I get an email. So uh, my phone has been blowing up tonight, so I'm so glad that there are some new people in the room. Can we just welcome them all to C12? Um, And I'm just going to talk for a few more seconds to allow my body to stop sweating from worship and to let my heart rate come down, whoo, my adrenaline. All right, Uh, if I say happy Valentine's Day to you, how many of you are excited about that? And how many of you, it just makes you angry when I even say, yes, that Valentine's Day is coming up, I understand. I understand, we have a love-hate relationship with Valentine's Day. We tried to make it as fun as possible If you, for those of you that hate it. Uh, on your way out, if you did not get candy and cake pops and all those fun things and, and get a photo with your friends that you're gonna post on social media and you're gonna tag C12, right? Yes, please do that. Um, oh, here we are, second week of a series called The Heist. Because over the course of your life, There has been an enemy coming after you, seeking to steal, steal, kill, and destroy you. In fact, in John 10.10, which is one of my life verses, it's honestly uh, the reason I'm in ministry and what uh, is the umbrella over how I lead, John 10.10, that says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, then Jesus says, I have come that they may have what? life and have it to the full. Jesus didn't come so that we would live life half empty. He came that we might have life to the full, but there is an enemy that has been very much after you from the moment you were conceived. I know that's a really poor picture in some of your minds that, sorry if I brought that image to mind, but nonetheless, from the moment you were conceived and up until now, the enemy has been after you and he wants to steal from you. He would love to kill you and see you dead. Or he'll settle for just destroying your life. And the heist is about the enemy that's come after you and has you locked up. You've surrendered parts of yourself. He's stolen parts of you from you. And now you find yourselves effectively behind bars of some sort. And it is that heist that keeps you from engaging in relationships with each other, with family, with friends, in dating, keeps you from really being able to have healthy relationships. So last week we settled in on identity theft. And I said, who do you get to say who you are? Who do you let define you? Who do you let tell you what you are and what you are not? And we said that identity is really where it all begins. Everything else is built on top of it. So we're going to go to the next layer today. The next way, if you will, that the enemy seeks to destroy you, and that is through fear. Fear. Now, my husband and I, we've been married. We will have been married for 21 years next month. And yes... Praise Jesus. Uh, There were some moments it was touch and go, y'all. But we're man married for 21 years, six months. 
And many of you know him. Every once in a while, he pops in here. He's the life of the party. If you don't know him, you would love him. Um, and when we were first dating, I learned, or he expressed to me, that he had a fear of spiders. Right? Now, I think here's this man, he's like six foot three, like big guy, saying he's scared of spiders. Um, I grossly underestimated the truth of that statement. We had been dating maybe a few weeks. Like we're still in this season where it's a little awkward. You know, you're not quite sure how a date is going to end. Like, is he walking me to the door? Is there gonna be a kiss? Is there not? Are we gonna go out again? There's all of these questions that surround those initial dating circumstances. Now, I would like to reenact for you what almost killed Jeff and I's relationship on the particular evening that I'm speaking of. But I'm gonna need a couple of volunteers because I don't think I can fully represent to you what happened without having some like visual points. So I need like two people, doesn't matter. Okay, come here, I need to see, okay, come here. I need two people. Which one of you feels like you are most inclined toward being a scary spider? Okay. Uh, so, Anna, I'm, I'm just going to have you stand here being a scary spider. And by scary spider, let me give you the truth of the moment. The spider, um, well, really, it was about this big. And... Uh, you're on a plant, so if you could just perch on a plant, that'd be helpful. Okay, you are me, got it? And uh, I am, and I don't know if I want you to act like me or not, so I don't know if I want to see it, but you could, you could give it your best shot. And uh, the spider, that's my front door, okay? Sitting next to my front door on a plant. I don't see it. No, I'm sorry, you don't see it. You don't see it. Jeff sees it. So we're walking towards the front door. It's awkward. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Talk, talk, talk. I don't know. We approach the front door. You as me. Jeff stands behind me and he goes. <laughs> right? You as me. How do you feel right now? Uh, two, choice words. two choice words he can't say. Right? Um, I almost got knocked out. She almost got knocked out. I mean, do you feel valued and treasured? Uh, do you feel a lot of, like, care and respect toward me? No. Um, did, you know, did you feel afraid of the spider or of myself? Okay, thank you very much. Can we give them a round of applause? Thank you so much. I appreciate, I appreciate it. Um... Jeff saw a spider on the plant. His first reaction, like from a guttural place, was to take me, his date, and hurl me towards the thing he was most afraid of. And sounds like Jeff. <laughs> and I remember stopping and being like, what? And he says, there's this spider. Did you not see it? It was this big. It had hair. They jump. Spiders leap. They leap. And he goes to this big explanation. I'm saying to him, I don't care what was there. Like, I don't care what scary thing existed. You don't throw me towards it to protect yourself. Right? I wish I could tell you that that's changed over the 21 years of our marriage. But still to this day, when my teenage daughters tell their dad that there's a spider somewhere in the bathroom or somewhere downstairs, like, that's my job. That's my job. I go deal with it. Okay. Fear. <laughs> Fear will put your relationships at risk. It's a funny story, and it's lighthearted. And we can tell it now because it's funny. But in all honesty, fear in any relationship 
puts it at risk. Have you ever been afraid of something in a relationship? Like worried about something or the what ifs or I don't know if they're going to or how are they going to respond to me or worried and fearful they don't like you or just anyone ever had fear in a relationship or in a date? Yes, we all have had fear of, of the unknown when we enter a relationship. Afraid of rejection, afraid of betrayal, afraid of being alone. We'll stay in something unhealthy just because of a fear of being alone. We have a fear of being really seen and known so we can be in friendships. It could take a long time to build a deep friendship because we're so afraid that if that friend actually sees who we are and what we are, then they won't want to be our friend anymore. Fear impacts every single one of our relationships, everything that we come up against. Fear is an interesting thing. So you can do this research on your own, but I did it for us tonight because I thought it might be helpful. Um, in 2016, there was a study that did a bunch of data collection to see what the top fears of Americans are. So of us. Here we go. 60% of Americans fear corrupt government officials. Well, <laughs> that was 2016. I'm not sure what the percentage would be now. 41% of Americans back in two, so, uh, five years ago feared a terror attack. A terror attack. Any of you have that legitimate fear? Have you ever feared that? Like, oh no, what's happening? I see this on the news. These kinds of fears are part of our regular rhythm. 40% of Americans fear not having enough money. Anybody in that camp? <laughs> 40%. And if you watch five minutes in the news, all three of those will fall into the news. Terror attacks, corrupt government officials, finances, things like that. So you could expect those fears. But what's more interesting to me is what was at the bottom of the list. One in 10 Americans, so count 10 people, and one of you has a legitimate, real fear of zombies. <laughs> like 10% of the people in this room have a real, I don't mean like a fan of The Walking Dead, I mean a real legitimate fear of a zombie attack. 9% are afraid of ghosts. And 8%, and I actually thought this might be higher. I actually thought this percentage would be higher. 8% of Americans are afraid of clowns. Is that true? Do y'all, anybody? <clears throat> fear is real. I have a fear of heights. I do not like heights of any kind. I, I, do, I do not, if I stand on the edge of something, I will fall because my equilibrium gets all jacked up. I just don't like heights. We all have a phobia or afraid of something. And the effects of fear affect our most important relationships. It affects how we see ourselves, how we see God. It directs our decisions and choices. There are things you don't do because you're afraid. Or there are a lot of things you do because you're afraid that if you don't, things won't work out. Fear drives us to unhealthy patterns, unhealthy cycles in our life. It drives us to anxiety and worry, to addictions, to numbing ourselves. It drives us either toward unhealthy people, away from healthy people. It can drive us toward people we uh, it could drive us away from people that we love. And actually what I see often is that fear drives us away from people that love us. People that want to love you, that want to be in your life. And fear will keep you from experiencing a relationship with them that is fulfilling and good and true. Fear creates an unrealistic bubble of protection. You know, when I was little, like we didn't wear helmets anywhere. We didn't have to wear seat belts. Like I just lived in the age where our parents were like, go with God, child, and may God bless you and keep you. Today, you know, any of you have ever have a helicopter parent? 
where literally you can't breathe without them checking on you. And like there's so much fear in everything you do that you just feel utterly micromanaged. Yeah. Fear does, fear does crazy things to us. A fear of rejection will make it hard for you to advocate for yourself, to stand up for yourself. We have a fear of vulnerability. In fact, in two weeks, Josh Ivey is gonna come and he's gonna talk about vulnerability in relationships. He and I were on the phone today talking through the message and talking through the content. We were like, man, this could be like a whole series. It's just so good. There's so much inside of that, this fear of vulnerability. It's when you live guarded and protected, you use things like sarcasm and defense mechanisms in order to keep yourself from being really known because you're so afraid of something? See, the question isn't, will I face fear? The question is, what will I do when I face fear? No one escapes fear. We all have it. So it's, what do you do when you face it? Because do you know we also fear fear? We're so afraid of being afraid that we do everything we can to keep ourselves from being in a scenario where fear might creep up. We fear the emotion itself. But I need you to hear me say something. Listen to this. I really, this is so important. Fear is not bad in and of itself. It's just not. It just is. In fact, fear can actually be a really good thing. Fear is what tells you that something's dangerous, right? Fear is what tells you, hey, don't go there. Don't be a part of that. That's not okay for you. That's a dangerous situation. Fear is this thing that can warn us and that can teach us and that can be a really good thing in our life when it is used and understood in a healthy way. Fear does not have to overpower you. The false belief and the lie is this, that you, yourself, need to overcome fear. You need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just be a man. Just buck up, buttercup. Stop being afraid and just live life. Stop it. You gotta overcome these feelings of fear and strive to replace them. And a lot of Christians will even say, you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more faith. If you had more faith, you wouldn't fear. And so then you go, I gotta have more faith, more faith. Oh, and you're trying to like manufacture like faith, build faith, build faith, right? You can do it. You can believe more, believe more. Fear, go away, faith. Oh, <coughs> And it doesn't work, does it? You're like, I, I'm, I'm still kind of afraid. I mean, I'm just being honest. I still, I'm still kind of afraid. And fear still overpowers us. And all, then we start to feel like we're failing because we don't have enough faith. And Christians are looking at you like, why are you afraid? You should have more faith. I want to give you a different solution for fear today. I'd like to go to the word of God in the Bible. And I would like to suggest to you that we reframe how we approach fear in our life and in our relationships. Because if you don't know how to appropriately designate fear, and you don't know how to correctly handle it and hold it, it will destroy your relationships. Insecurities will take over. Anxiety will just be what's, on, what's front and center on the table all the time. Worry, it will kill your relationships. So I wanna give you a different solution today. We're gonna go to the Bible. And when you read through the Bible, there's fear all over the place. Everybody's afraid. <laughs> God would come and say, hey, I need you to do this thing. And they would go, you know what? I'm really afraid. No. That's how it went every time. People were afraid, major leaders in the Bible, Moses, Abraham, no, I mean, everybody's afraid of what God's asked them to do, afraid of relationships, but they all responded differently because it's about where you place fear. Fear in the right place can be a gift that wakes you up to the presence of God.
fear in the right place. I want to take you to one verse first in 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy is a tiny, tiny little book of New Testament, super tiny. If you brought your Bibles, feel free to use your table of contents. Or maybe you just have the patience of Job. And you're going to thumb through the New Testament until you reach 2 Timothy, which is like two or three pages long. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It will be on the screen. The reason I encourage you to bring your Bibles is because I would just love for you to begin to feel like your Bible is not so hard to navigate. You can also use your phone. I've got a couple of Bible apps on my phone. So you can pull it up on your phone and you can read it in different versions. But 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the spirit, should say, of God, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear. So I was trying to think of a, of a good way to illustrate the difference between letting fear teach you what to, is correct and what, should be, what you should be afraid of and, and how not to let it drive you. So it's sort of the difference between having fear as a really good, like one of your favorite teachers you ever had, and then having fear as a life coach. Having fear as a teacher is when you let fear encourage you to dig deeper and ask yourself what's really happening in the moment. What am I really afraid of right now? I know what I'm saying I'm afraid of, but am I really afraid of that? Or is there something underneath it that I'm really most afraid of? I mean, you're saying you're going to go out and spend time with your friends, but, and so I'm going to argue with you because I think you should spend time with me. So we're going to get in a fight and a conflict over where you're spending your time. When the real issue that fear invites us into is to go, what am I actually doing? What is actually happening? Well, what is actually happening is that you're afraid. You're afraid that this person who's going to spend time somewhere else when you want them to spend time with you, that that means they don't love you or they don't care about you or they don't want to make time for you. The driving force isn't about the person's calendar and about balance in their life or healthy rhythms. The real issue is fear. So fear could be this teacher that helps us decide and discern what's really going on around us. Or it could become your life coach where it just drives you all the time. Be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. Fear, fear, fear. If you're afraid, at least you're on edge and you're, you're always aware and nobody's going to hurt you and you're protected. I'm never going to let anybody do that to me again. I'm never going to let anybody betray me again. I'm never going to let anybody lie to me again. I'm never going to let anybody leave me again. All of these things that I'm afraid of, I will make sure they don't happen to me again because my life coach of fear over here is saying, you can do it. You don't need them. You're on your own. You're an independent woman. You're an independent man. You don't need people. You don't care what people think about you. You don't care what people, what their opinions are of you. And we start to go down this road in these mantras that culture is teaching us that are just a bunch of crap. Fear, there's an invitation to understand better what we're sitting in and what we're actually dealing with. I'm going to give you a statement. It's a little cheesy, but it's true. Okay, so just forgive the cheesiness because it rhymes and just go with me on it, okay? When we get that God is here, then we know where to place fear. When we get that God is here, then we know where to place fear. When he's here, there's no need to fear. When you fear, remember that he's here. That the God of angel armies, the God that commands the legions of guardian angels, of soldiers, of warriors, is with you and you need not fear. 
that whatever the worst thing imaginable is to you, if this happened, that would be the worst thing imaginable. If this person did this to me, it would be the worst thing imaginable. Whatever the worst thing imaginable is to you, because he is with you, it doesn't have to break you. Because he's with you, it doesn't have to take you down. So I want to go to the book of 1 John, which is another teeny tiny little book in the New Testament, written by the Apostle John. There's 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. We're going to be in 1st John. This is also the guy that wrote the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So he's got some solid real estate in the New Testament. This is the guy that was called the disciple whom Jesus loved. In fact, the nickname Jesus gave him was Beloved. This guy knew Jesus, walked with Jesus, wrote about Jesus. In fact, he wrote the book of the Bible that is the first book of the Bible I tell people to read when they say, what book of the Bible should I read? I say, read John. Read this man's words. So we're going to go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. Here are the little pages turning. I love it. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God. God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What the heck is he saying? Doesn't he sound repetitive? How many times does he say the word fear? Just walk through or read it, read it through on your own account. How many times is love in that passage? Who's got it first? Six, seven, <laughs> eight. Oh my goodness. Okay. Should we call it an even seven? Okay. Like, John is clearly trying, leave that up for me. John is clearly trying to communicate something here. He's not just trying to be repetitive. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, so if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, God lives in you. And you're in him. What? Now that's relationship. And so we know and rely. What do we rely on? The what? Love God has for us. God is what? Love. See, that's not just some cheesy slogan that we use in the church. That's not just something that Christians say like, oh, actually, I don't know. John might be the first original hippie. Perhaps. God is love. Everything's love. Maybe he was. But God is love. He is in you. You are in him. He is love. So love is in you. You are in love. Relationship. Whoever lives in love, lives in God, and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have, what? Confidence. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment, because there will be a day of judgment. There will be a day that everyone stands before God and it gives an accounting for their life. And John says, you can have what? Confidence on the day of judgment. You can stand before the Father with no worry, no insecurity, no wondering. You can have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like who? Jesus, there is no fear in love. Y'all, that's, um, that's heavy. I want you to think of a relationship in your life 
Maybe it's family, maybe it's friends, maybe it's dating, friend, whatever. That you would say love exists in that relationship and then ask yourself, is there fear? Because this says there is no fear in what? Love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So earlier I said, everybody, you know, Christians will say, have more faith, have more faith, drive out fear. But according to John, what is the solution to fear? What is it? Love. The solution to fear is love. It's not faith. It's not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It is God's love in you and you in love with God. And that drives out fear. Because where there is fear and God is near, you need not fear because you rest in his love. How different would your relationships be if you lived loved? If every person that you encountered, you did not need anything from them to fulfill you, to make you feel better, to complete you, which I have historically said is the worst line of any movie in the history of all romantic movies. If anyone ever looks at you and says, you complete me, you need to run fast. Like literally, don't even discuss it. Just go, okay, thanks, and run. Because let me paraphrase for you. Can I paraphrase? Um, I am so deficient as a person, and I'm so needy. I'm going to need you to fix me. And I am going to suck the life out of you until you wonder what you ever saw in me in the first place. We're going to have a codependent relationship here because you complete me. No, 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 no. It's not even possible. When you live loved by God, when you know that the things we talked about last week are true of you, that you are chosen, that you are gifted, that you are called, that you are his, that there's a destiny for you and a plan for you and a future for you and a calling for you and a forever for you, that you're an heir in his kingdom, that when this life ends, which is just like a blip on the screen in all of eternity, that you're gonna get to spend eternity in heaven with the Father in all of perfection, no more sin, no more suffering, no more disease, no more nothing, and we get to have that. And when you live in that confidence, then you approach all relationships with the sense of that confidence that John is talking about. Because you live loved, I'm loved, and when I know I'm loved, I don't need you to fix me. I don't need you to complete me because I am fully loved. And when I'm fully loved, guess how well I love you? Really well. Really, really well. Too many people are so focused on finding the person that they're going to marry someday and they just can't stand being alone and they just can't stand dating and they will date the wrong people and stay with the wrong people because they're so intent on being married and they don't want to be alone and they give no thought to becoming the person worth marrying, to becoming a person that lives so deeply loved that when they meet that other person who has also been learning to become so deeply loved, you come together as two whole people and you love each other well and fully Because you are rooted in the identity that God has given you and you don't need it from them. In fact, you can root for them. 
and celebrate them and want more for them. There's no, and even in front, there's no competition. There's no jealousy. There's no comparing. There's no insecurity. There's no scrolling through things going, well, why did they get that and I don't? Why is God blessing them and not me? There's none of that because you are living loved. John says, perfect love drives out fear. That is the anecdote. Faith rising is a byproduct. Oh, men and women, when you live loved, man, your faith just explodes. Because when you don't live afraid, and God says, hey, I want you to take this risk, you're like, I'm in. I believe. I trust. I know. My faith is big because I am loved. And who cares what happens with it? Let's say it blows up in my face. So what? I'm living loved, y'all. We're so afraid of pain that we put ourselves behind bars. The heist occurs. And we get locked out of real relationship. Fear may feel so powerful, so powerful, and you feel like you cannot overcome it. The statistics on anxiety in your generation are just off the charts. And there are moments where you have panic attacks. Fear overwhelms you. You're locked up. But fear cannot overpower the power of God in you. No matter how you feel, your feelings are lying to you. No matter what feels so powerful in you that you think is overtaking you, nothing can defeat the power of God. Nothing. Perfect love drives out fear. And can I just be really honest with you? Because if I'm not honest with you, I'm doing you no favors. Your worst fears might come true. We live in a fallen world. And that thing you're afraid of happening, it might happen. The diagnosis could come. They might leave you. They might break up with you. You might lose your job. You might fail. The thing that you think would be the worst possible thing, your biggest fear might come true. And then what are you going to do when your fears become reality? What will you do? What will you let drive them? Will you be able to raise your hand in worship on the, you know, in the valleys like you do on the mountaintops? Will you still be able to say that God is good? Will you still believe that he is a God that desires to bless you and that he's with you and that he's for you? See, the antidote to fear isn't the absence of pain. The antidote to fear is love. And even though God's perfect love exists, it doesn't promise there will be no pain. In fact, I would even say to you, if you don't really understand pain, I don't know that you really could ever understand love. If you don't really know what it means to be broken, if you don't really know what it means to be at your wit's end, you don't really know what it means to be in a constant state of confusion and having nowhere to go. I really am not sure that you can fully appreciate what it is that Jesus endured for us, what it is that Jesus did for us so that we might be able to be perfected in his love. So that when the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, we can go, I do not think so because God is with me here even in my fear. What will you do if your worst 
fear comes true because it might. I have a lot of fears. And if I can just be honest with you, I've had seasons in my life where fear just absolutely overtook me. And you know what, band, if you want to go ahead and come on up. Like I've had seasons in my life when Actually, you know, this isn't my notes. I wasn't even going to talk. I wasn't. But maybe, maybe six months ago, if that, um, I was walking around our building, our central campus building. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of worry and unsure what life was going to look like, you know, we're in. There's COVID and there were all of these things happening. And, um, and I began to have a panic attack in my office. How many of you have ever had a panic attack? Have you ever had one? If you don't know what that is, it's, it's when fear and anxiety locks you up. Like locks you up usually results in some kind of physical reaction where you can't, you know, you can't breathe very well or you can't really, you have a hard time walking from point A to point B or you're physically frozen. It's where maybe in the TV shows or movies, you see somebody hand someone a bag and just say, breathe, right? Just, just breathe. <clears throat> and I had a panic attack and then I was just so angry. I was having a panic attack because I was like, what the heck? I'm a grown woman. I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. How in the world would I, how in the world is this happening to me? Fear is real. The enemy is real and he seeks to steal, kill, and devour. And the answer for me in that moment, as I'm trying to muscle through it, right? Muscle through it on my own was simply because I'm by myself in that space there that day is to force my mind to be drawn to the truth that God was with me. And he is for me. And if I could close my eyes and just envision him in the picture that I imagine of him, take deep breaths. <clears throat> choose to trust, choose to believe. Choose to remind myself that I'm loved. Eventually it passed. I tell you that to say, in our humanity, fear comes. And in our humanity, we respond. And sometimes we manage the response well, and sometimes we don't, and sometimes it seems beyond our control. But the most powerful anecdote to it is love. Remembering that you're loved, living loved, and responding to God in love. You know, last week I gave you some words of truth about who you are in Christ. <clears throat> This week, I'd like to give you some words of truth about who God is in you. When I say to you that in your fear, God is near, there are things that if you're a Christian that are true of God, and as John says, he is in you, that means these things of him are in you. So the fact that God is all powerful, that power resides in you. The power of Jesus to rise from the, the power lives in you. And we sang that song, The Champion, you know, and Yona was saying like, all authority has been given to you. And it's not the world's kind where the world's like, oh, you're powerful and all the power is in you. You are power. You are not power. God's power in you is powerful. God is ever present. 
He is with you all the time. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. You're never without him. He is always with you. You may forget. You may, you know, turn away and not be looking at him. You may let fear overwhelm you and try and overcome you, but he is with you. God is sovereign. Listen, he's sovereign. Do you know what that means? It means that God's purposes always prevail. Always prevail. It means the enemy cannot win. He cannot win. Victory has been promised to you. God is sovereign. His purposes always prevail. He is a promise keeper. You are who he says you are, and he is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. Oh my goodness. You are who he says you are. He is who he says he is, and he will do what he says he will do. He will never not do what he says he will do. He may not do it when we want him to do it, but he will do it. He's a grace giver. Nothing you do, nothing you say, and listen to this, nothing you even think is outside of his grace. Nothing, nothing is beyond his grace. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He, his hands encompass it all and hold it all and created it all, empower it all, move it all. He is unchanging. I love this about God. Oh, I love this about God. He is unchanging. His love for me will never change. Never, never, under any circumstances. His promises will never change. It will just never change. He will never go from being honest to dishonest or faithful to unfaithful. That's just, it's never gonna happen. He's never going to betray you. He's never going to lie to you. He is never gonna go from being good to being bad. He is unchanging. That should get an Amen. God is healer. He is a healer. And I know some of y'all came in this room and you need a healer tonight. You might need healed physically. You need healed from addiction. You need healed from a pattern of sin. You need healed from unforgiveness, from bitterness, from hopelessness, from helplessness, from anxiety, from worry, from panic attacks. You need a healer in this place tonight. And again, that stinking song, Yona, where he's like, like I open my mouth and miracles happen. It's not because of us, it's because of God in us. He is holy. Trevor, you and I were talking about that. He is holy. God is holy, he is pure, he is righteous, and he is in you if you're a believer in him and he is moving you and transforming you into holy. He is just. I'm so glad God is just. I need, I need a God of justice, don't you think? I'd like to enact some of my own justice sometimes. But God is just. And he is love. I wanted very specifically to end tonight uh, with worship, but listen to why. Um, we love worship at C12, right? And we love it. That's like, we love it. I think there are reasons you love it and you don't even know that they're the reasons. For example, I think we come in here sometimes and we come in out of all kinds of fears. We've been battling all kinds of fears and worries all week long. And we come in here and we look forward to worship because there's something that happens in us that changes us in that. We somehow leave here a little more hopeful. We somehow leave here uh, with, with a little more joy. We leave here, you know, 25% less fearful. Something happens. Something happens. Because when you speak your faith, when you speak your love of God to fear, there is power in it. 
when we sing and we raise our hands and we say, it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what's like holding my heart in fear or making my chest tight or making me worry or what's keeping me up at night or what's keeping me from sleeping. It doesn't matter what any of that is because for these few minutes, I can actually raise my hands and sing to the Lord and remember who he is and I can speak my faith to fear and I can I can worship in love in this moment because he is near me and I can soak in his comfort and I can soak in his presence and I can let the Holy Spirit overwhelm me from like the top of my head to the the tips of my toes and I don't even know why I need worship so much but I need it so much because it does that to you it's supernatural it's supernatural and so I asked the band if we could just spend some concentrated minutes some time in worship in declaring truths that we believe in God and that we're going to live love, that we are loved and speak that in the face of fear. So would you stand? When you open your heart and vulnerability in worship, when you get vulnerable, Guess what vulnerability in worship does not look like? Like, just locked up, locked up. Bust out, bust out. Bust out of the jail cell, bust out in vulnerability. Bust out and be vulnerable in worship. It will settle your fear. It will settle it. If you wanna leave here freer than when you came, I mean, give this moment all you've got and you will leave here freer than when you came, won't they? Yes, just say yes. He can't hear me because he's got his ears in. Yes, yes. <laughs> all right, let's worship. May the Lord bless you and keep you. C12, may the Lord make his face to shine on you and oh, be so gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Because it is his peace that passes all understanding and it is his peace that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And men and women, C12 said together, amen. All right, y'all, see you next week. Thank you for listening to C12's podcast today. Next week, Heather will continue our series on what robs relationships. If you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to learn more about College at 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.